Welcome everybody to 25 Years Later, The Obsessions Podcast. Traveling back to the past, reliving pop culture from 25 years ago. Visit 25yearslatersite.com for more in-depth articles on your favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Connor O'Donnell. On this episode, I am joined by two fellow writers from 25 Years Later. First and foremost, I got the resident Radiohead expert on the line. He's also my brother. Brian, I finally conned you to podcast with me. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Also joining us to talk about the Academy Awards, Don Shanahan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Connor and Brian. And I had no idea until now you two were brothers. Yep. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Man, look at that. <laughs> uh, so, Don, I just want to ask you really quick before we jump on in. Are, are you a big fan of the Oscars or are you kind of just a general consumer of film? I am. Um general consumer for sure but a fan of the oscars i love following it i always interested in seeing what can kind of stand the test of time i think it's always curious to see which things get lauded at one time and see how they last five ten years later so to be able to kind of hop in with 25yl and look at things that are 25 years old and see what things have been able to sustain is is always fascinating i think we still look at those moments. We still look at those speeches and the and the, the elements of that show that we always see in highlights and don't go away. So even when the Oscars, quote unquote, get it right, or even when they, quote unquote, get it wrong, I think it's still always fascinating stuff to watch. I mean, this show back in 94, I don't know if that was the one to to really watch. David Letterman kind of did an ugly job of hosting, but it's the, the performances and the, and the Forrest Gump stuff is there. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about all of that. But before we get into the Oscars and Radiohead, let's kick off the podcast with taking a look at the pop culture headlines from March 1995. The movie Outbreak tops the box office. Michael Jordan returns to basketball. Some game called Chrono Trigger is released on the Super Nintendo. And the TV show Sliders debuts on Fox. So a lot of great stuff from this month. But the... All of us being from Illinois, it's it's hard not to look back at the impact Michael Jordan had. I mean, you can you can say on, on the city of Chicago, just globally, just as a pop culture icon. And it was just a crazy time having Jordan away from basketball, playing baseball for it's like a year and a half. No, it was nuts. I the euphoria of that was was insane because we all knew he you know he left too early and he left with you know a bad taste in his mouth and the different issues between family and, and management and all that. Especially when you're a kid, you don't understand all the management stuff, and then you hear about it years later and all that. To have him come back and, and walk through that curtain and show up on that court was electric. I, you you remember where you were. You remember who you were with and, and when you got the news and then when he stepped on that court and he had a terrible first game, but then he showed up in the next game and just killed it. So it was fun to see. Do you remember Brian? Cause, cause actually personally, I was a little too young at this point. Like I barely remember the first three Pete, which is sad. I think I remember like the, the final game where they won in 93, but you know, mm -hmm. this is like, I have vague memories of this. So Brian, do you have a, a, a better memory of this happening? Yeah, I, I do really remember this very vividly. Actually, he was out out for the game, out of the game for about over a year. He tried to play baseball, but he wasn't very good at it. You know, you're kind of wondering like, would he be the same when he came back? Would the time off hurt his game? He was wearing the number 45. It was all, all very weird. And then I think five games back into it, he dropped 55 points against the Knicks yeah. in Madison Square Garden. That was um, awesome. Yeah, I just I vividly remember that. I remember where I watched the game and, you know, from that moment on, you know, I knew he was back and not only was he still good, but he was still the best player in the league. So, 
um, I, I feel like after that, you know, the rest was the rest was history. It was, it was a really cool season that like he was still a little rusty because the, the Bulls actually got knocked out by by the magic that year. So I, I remember all that part, but particularly all like the politics with the with the baseball season, uh, having a labor dispute with all that stuff. Right. I was like, I, I can't understand all this stuff, even trying to read it now. Oh, I know. Jordan being having arguments about a parking spot and part time players or sorry, replacement players. There's a lot of politics involved with this whole story. And that's ultimately actually why he kind of returned to basketball, partially because like Pippen, he was he was pissed with the Bulls and the Bulls were just getting, they got bullied by the Knicks the year before. So there's there a lot of moving pieces in this whole thing. So seeing Jordan come back, it was it's actually short of a miracle because he actually probably could have stayed with baseball, even though he probably wouldn't have had a great career or anything but he he could have stayed there you never know yeah it, it's the what it could have should have all that goes in both directions like had he stayed could they have won eight titles you know had he not ever come back i don't think he loses any esteem in terms of his career in as the greatest player of his era in his time i think those extra three championships and how those turned out, I mean, I elevated him from not just being the greatest of his time, but of his era, but the greatest we've ever had then and since. And I'm a full believer that I don't care what LeBron and Kobe do. It's still Michael Jordan first and everybody else second. It certainly feels that way because during the 90s, Chicago, they needed the Bulls. Uh, I mean, the Black the Blackhawks had a, f- a few good years making the Stanley Cup finals, things like that. But mm-hmm. the baseball teams, they didn't do too great. Uh, the White Sox had some had some good years too but cubs the 90s it, it wasn't Ooh, good for the cubs wasn't great, no. No. Uh, it seems very long ago though that now like looking back now with these those great bulls teams it just seems so so long ago compared oh, to what we have now <laughs> especially with the current team of the court yeah yeah i i still have a number 45 jersey in my mom's closet at home that my my son will have to fit someday for sure but oh yeah the the, the buzz of that is still unforgettable yeah, that, that that as as Brian mentioned, that Knicks game I do remember that 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 pass he gave to good old Will Purdue for the the winning basket. It's just mm-hmm. great great to look back at, at a huge event like this. But going into kind of a you know outbreak, it's kind of a relatable to current times right now. Um, I, Don, you're the only one that's seen it. It's it's very topical that sure this is the number one movie. Twelve Monkeys was also comes out this year. So oh, so I know you is, hear is about outbreak worth. Is it worth seeing? I think so. I I can recommend it for sure. I mean, Wolfgang Peterson is a tight, good film director. You know, he went on to do uh, The Perfect Storm and different movies like that in A Line of Fire. He was a a 90s hit maker at the time. And this is just one more in a chain of hits that he had. And you got four Oscar winners in that cast between Dustin Hoffman, Kevin Spacey, Cuba Gooding Jr. and and a few others in there. And uh, no, it, it um of course, watching it today and what we're doing all right now, it's a lot of fun to do. And I, I hear it's on Netflix right now and it's, it's trending like crazy because people are refining this movie and wondering what it all is. And I, I mean, it still counts as a time capsule because this is, you know, it's 95. So you're not having like a lot of cell phones and a lot of, of course, zero social media, but the, the medical impact and the government kind of like fingers into things and all the, the military threats that would be there if something were to be worse than what we have now is definitely a topical thing to watch and a fun little exhibit to observe for sure the funniest thing for me about this if you can make a funny thing about it 
the subject monkey that is like the carrier of the disease and he's on the posters and everything is the same silly monkey that Ross had as a pet in friends. Really? They're both, yes. It's the same Marcel from friends and this rhesus monkey in the movie are the same, you know, animal actor, I guess I should say. And it's hilarious because you watch friends and you're like, Oh gosh, that's the guy from outbreak. You know, it turns into that for sure. That monkey's making some good checks around there. Yeah. I, yeah, sure. I think so. Yeah, it's 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 odd to see these films around at least Outbreak being the number one movie because we talked about last month there was a lot of good comedies around this time. So last month it was Billy Madison, Heavyweights, and this month yeah. also Tommy Boy came out, and that that's probably one of my favorite comedies maybe of all time. So I mean, you, you you have to think of the calendar and you know where comedies don't have the longest shelf life in the world sometimes for repeat viewing, and March is still that dead time before the summer opens in May and and June. So. A movie like Outbreak that can kind of topically get under some people's skin can linger for a little bit and win a weekend. And there are sure some bangers from 1995, and we'll definitely talk about that on future episodes. So let's transition to our music spotlight. There was an important album released this month. There were were several. uh, We were talking with Don early on. Uh, I know Tupac released. I can't remember the name of the album. I I listened to a little bit of it. it's It's me against the world. Right. I will say it sounds a little outdated. It sounds like your typical like early 90s hip hop. It's definitely still good, but you can tell like this is the 90s. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely good stuff. But I really want to talk about the Benz because it was definitely the definitive next step for Radiohead. And it's it's just interesting to look back at the music industry at this time because, you know, the grunge era, it's over with Cobain's death a year before this. In 95 and 96 were the only two years in the 90s to have like, the best-selling record, which it would not be a movie soundtrack or a pop record. So the the albums I'm talking about, it's Who Do You Own the Blowfish and 96's Alanis Morissette. So it's kind of this weird time capsule of these two years that I really love this era right here. We get the, the sharp turn from grunge and we get a lot of different styles of music. And Radiohead is just another one of those bands that, you know, they took a turn from Pablo Honey. They had a hit single with Creep. So Brian, you bought numerous records for me as gifts over the years. And I don't know if you remember, but the Benz was one of them. So was this album on your radar at the time? Were any of the songs being played at Q101? You know, my my love for Radiohead did not begin with the Benz. I didn't get in fully into Radiohead until their next album, OK Computer, came out and once I fell in love with that album, I did. I went back to the bands and kind of discovered that. Talking about movie soundtracks, I do believe there was a version of the song Fake Plastic Trees on the Clueless movie soundtrack. And for Great whatever reason, yeah. I, yeah, I, for whatever reason, I remember listening to that song and really liking it. Um, obviously, like I knew Creep, but I didn't really discover the bends until after I got into to okay computer later and, and, I, and I really I don't remember buying the bends for you but that's pretty pretty funny I don't know if it was for Christmas but it was it was definitely some kind of gathering it might have been my birthday but I definitely wouldn't have bought the album because same I was very much into okay computer probably we probably shared the album I can't remember what happened with that but then obviously kid a so those are my main two albums and I know you bought because I probably wouldn't have would have gotten over it because I'm not as big of a Radiohead fan as you are. I still love them though. So I wanted to ask you then, what are your overall thoughts of the album and how does it hold up for you in the amazing catalog of Radiohead? Um, yeah, it definitely still holds up. I wrote an article a couple of months ago for 25 years later, uh, ranking the different 
Radiohead albums. Um, and I put I put the Benz at number four. With so many great Radiohead albums out there, I do I do think it's you know near the top, but I couldn't put it in my top three. I feel like the Benz is a little polarizing for Radiohead Radiohead fans sometimes. Um, some people really love it. Some people think it's over, overrated. I, I'm more in the the positive end of things, but I wouldn't put it in my in my top three. I'm a I'm a huge believer in like the first song off an album, and the Benz has a has a great first track and yeah. Planet Telix. Um, it just has this really cool like space gu- space rock guitar sound, and I just love to like put it on like turn it up really loud, loud and just crank that song. But the Benz is really more of like a tr- it's more of a traditional rock album compared to like some of their other albums like Kid, Kid A and like what they what they put out with their last couple albums. Um, so I, I kind of view it as like like obviously it literally is like a bridge between Pablo Honey and OK Computer um, in terms of like their albums that they released. But it's also it has this like you can witness the transformation of like their musical uh, sound and just like their styles. Whereas Pablo Honey is that alternative grunge kind of roots in it. And then OK, OK Computer was kind of weirder with like spacey alien vibes and things. And then I feel like the Benz was kind of right in the middle of that, like very traditional rock, but with some of those different elements. In two different cases, it like it's it sounds like it's a record from 95, but at the same point it, it's like it could sound like it's recorded at any point mm-hmm. Me- meaning like it was it sounds like it was recorded in 95 because it was a simple straight up record not a lot of extra noises percussion like it's like the same kind of approach that we'll see from 311 this year just songs are tight but they just use all their acoustic instruments they don't they don't go with the synthesizers and stuff like weird experimental stuff that they go with later on but you can listen to it today. It still sounds great. Yeah, that that opening guitar riff. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's great. Where where I come down on this record, I always kind of forget. Like, do I like this record? And then I'll listen to it. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember this song. This song's fine. I feel it has a bunch of like sevens, like no perfect tens, but no like complete stinkers. That's kind of how I feel about this record. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. And I will say, I I do think the last the latter part of the album does lag a little bit. But the first half for me is is top notch. As the movie guy in the room who sucks at music, I'm at the mercy of like looking at like the legacy section for the album on the Wikipedia page. And it's amazing to see you guys talk about it and kind of slot it where you do. And then I see, you know, like Rolling Stones, 500 greatest albums of all time. And it's the highest ranking Raiderhead, one of the of the three that make the list and how much how, how praised it was. Like, for example, in 2003, the album was ranked 110 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums and 111 on its 2012 revised list. It was the Virgin Magazine's top 1,000 1000 albums of all time. It was number two. I mean, they put it that high. Second to only Revolver from the Beatles. And, you know, it's I'm with you. I think the other Radiohead albums surge ahead of this one. But it's amazing that the bigwigs, I guess, out there, you know, put it up that high. It's always cool to see how time kind of changes our perception on Mm -hmm. things. This is definitely an album that really personifies that real quick uh brian what's your favorite track from the album uh my favorite track is probably the song the bends i love it when i when they play it live it's just awesome it has a really cool um really great guitar solo at the end uh the song just 
sorry, I know you asked for one, but I'm going to give you two. Um, the song Just is also amazing. Some of Johnny Greenwood's uh, best guitar solos of probably any Radiohead album. So yeah, those are my two favorite tracks for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I, th- I think it was, it's always high and dry for me. I don't think it's ever been anything else. I, I just love that opening drum beat. I've played it at numerous band practices when I used to play drums all the time. So that that one always uh, hits home for me. It's just the the quintessential Radiohead sound, I think. So I, I will always love that track. That's one track that like I'll put on my my phone, like on any on any device. But yeah, the rest rest of the album, I can go without it. But it, if you had to make me listen to the album, I am not disappointed. So yeah, uh, great album again. Just quintessential mid '90s record. All right, well, it's time for a break. When we come back, let's take a look at the Academy Awards from 1995. Time for a cup of joe and a donut. Twin Peaks will be right back. Thank you for listening to 25YearsLaterSite.com. For more exclusive audio, head on over to patreon.com slash 25YL. The $3 tier will get you access to our library of audio articles, plus two new audio articles released every week exclusive to subscribers. So the Oscars in 1995, it was quite a memorable year for movies when, we, when I look back at it. It was just a loaded loaded bunch for Best Picture nominees. So th- this year it is Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump, the film that would go on to win Best Picture, and then Quiz Show and Four Weddings and a Funeral. So let's, I mean, let's start at, at, at the top because it's, it's a, sure. I think it's a very polarizing film. Forrest Gump, Best Picture. A lot, a lot of people like this movie, at least p- from people I know. I was talking to Brian. He doesn't like the film. So I, I'm going to start right there. Brian, why don't you like Forrest Gump? Smashing him with the hate question first. Woo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never, I don't know. I, I've, I've only seen this movie one time, um, like around when it came out and I just didn't like it <laughs> and I never watched it again. I, I just thought it was really overrated, I guess. It was a little silly and just kind of, I don't know. I just, it didn't resonate with me. I mean, I'll follow that. It, it's, it's the safe movie. It's the it's the populist easy one. It's a novelty because of the way you could Robert Zemeckis used effects to kind of insert Tom Hanks into different places, which hadn't been super duper done before. And you know, it was it was just the year where popularity reigned. You know, um, thirteen of the top thirty box office earners of that year would be nominated for an Oscar in some category. You know, out of those five nominees, it's actually kind of amazing that the for how loaded that category is, the lowest box office performer of the bunch is the one that has since become the most rewatched and popular. And that's Shawshank Redemption. It only earned $16 million at the box office before the Oscars. And of course it's become the more of the quintessential easy going film than Forrest Gump has it from the same year. It's amazing. Forrest Gump for me though, I'm just is um, it's easy. It's easy. Americana fun. I, I can see why it resonated with, with easy voters. I don't rewatch it. I don't, I think Tom Hanks has had better performances in other places. You know, we have the whole, you can call the Tropic Thunder performance of Ben Stiller as you don't go full retard coming from exactly a place like this. And just, yeah, it's give me Shawshank or Pulp every time. For sure. I, I, I still think it's a worthy Tom Hanks performance. It is worthy. 
I think it's typical like Oscars, even with Semeckis or Hanks, like it's not their best performances by by far. But if you look at this time period, though, a few years back, Hanks was in the League of Their Own. But this year after Forrest Gump, he goes on to do Apollo 13 and Toy Story. It's, yeah. You have the I- iconic lines and scenes with him. Houston, we have a problem. All the lines from Forrest Gump. It's just mm-hmm. it's some of the most memorable lines of the decade. And oh yeah, he did save him probably right in a few years after this. Right, so just, and the, and this this was back to back to back Oscars. He did Philadelphia the year before this and made it two for two. So I mean, this was his prime, you know, and I get why. So, but I look at those other nominees for best actor, like Morgan Freeman, who would not win an Oscar again, you know, until uh, a supporting performance in in uh, Million Dollar Baby, which was you know just such an easy putt of a performance from morgan freeman and then i love paul newman and nobody's full i don't know if it's a movie most people have seen but he's a a hoot in that and then it's hard to you know pass up the career resurgence of travolta in the same category so yeah you're right just the loaded year where where do you put it you know i think everyone can look back now and realize that pulp fiction was ahead of its time and to to be second and third fiddle in a lot of these categories other than it's one win in screenplay shows a lot yeah it's tough I, i I go back and forth on Pulp Fiction. Obviously, it's an amazing film, but it's for for me, it's a film that I will turn on select scenes. Mm-hmm. The, the Samuel L. Jackson performance is just it's oh, so powerful to me. That's the guy you should. Like, I mean, no nothing against the resume performance of Martin Landau and Ed Wood. That was Samuel L. Jackson's best of his career and always will be. Yeah, <laughs> we we talked about last month. Sorry, Laura's Fishworm, that the this is the performance that you missed out on. Or I'm kind of glad that you passed on Pulp Fiction because we got Jackson here. We got the legendary mm-hmm. performance. So thank you so much. But yeah, I don't know. When I go watch Pulp Fiction, when we get to the Bruce Willis parts, I'm like, eh, I can yeah. skip over this. I'm uh, with you there. It deserved the Oscar it got for screenplay. That's the spot where, where, where it should yes. win. And it was the, yeah, the right spot for it. But uh, it's it's just really cool to look back at this year because it's a lot of, I don't know, you have something for everybody, which is kind of cool. And also, it's Truly. not compared to current Oscar times. I'm this. I like this formula of only five nominees instead of oh, what do we too. have now, ten <laughs> <Yeah>. or <laughs> very much so. countless. I mean, if you look at snubs, you know, on the outside looking in, if you kind of, I mean, I always go to the Golden Globes because at least you have that comedy split and drama split where you can see what would maybe be the next two or three films beyond the old school five. And the the two dramas that were nominated for the Golden Globes that were on the outside looking in for Best Picture here at the Oscars were, were Nell with Jodie Foster and Legends of the Fall from Edward Zwick and, and Brad Pitt. So I don't know if those movies are, are best picture level kinds of movies. I think they got the right five in the final, but you can maybe make an argument for the inclusion of Ed Wood because that was such a different Tim Burton film and Landau's performance kind of leads the way. But I don't know where, you know, where you part with what nominee of the five, I guess four wings and the funeral is your weak British, you know, token Miramax nomination in there, but eh, I don't know. It's tough to make a spot. It It is. I actually just recently watched that for the first time. I really liked it. It's so very it, good. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a quality film. And mm-hmm. I like them putting the occasional romantic comedy in there. Like I, th- I think they should yeah. do that more often. I think I think the other thing that I don't want to say it's a snub, but it was a, a possibility is three years before this, you have Beauty and the Beast as an animated Disney film going all mm-hmm. the way to a Best Picture nomination. And yeah, this Lion is King. the year of the Lion King. Yeah. Which ended up winning the Golden Globe for Best Musical or Comedy above every live action thing where an argument could be made, you know, give a spot to Lion King. A small snub is, I think, Akuna Matata did not win the award. Some other song no, from Lion not. King. Yeah. <laughs> always, like, can you feel the love tonight? Always is. Yeah. The ballad always I wins. Think, 
I think it's a forgettable song. I mean, my favorite song is uh, Be Prepared. I mean, that that was yeah just, it didn't get nominated lion king had three of the five nominees it was can you feel the love tonight circle of life and hukuna matata i feel bad for the other two songs that were up against anything <laughs> from lion king <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was a crappy song from junior from you know carol byer i think it's called look what love has done and then you have randy newman who just got nominated this past year for marriage stories work and he's done the toy story stuff since he did a, a song called make up your mind from the paper a journalist movie but yeah talk about no chance definitely man we could definitely talk talk films forever here but we're going to try and t- keep it on nope. a tight schedule right here. I, I want we have, we, have, we got to talk about shawshank redemption a little bit because that's yes. another, another movie that uh brian uh he just ragged on me like you haven't watched this movie watch shawshank <laughs> it's often forgotten it's a stephen king adaptation and i don't know is this is this the best one brian the best uh stephen king ad- adaptation you mean yeah Probably. I mean, I would put it up there along with maybe Green Mile being pretty good, too. Um, mm, but yeah. Shawshank Redemption re- really for me is one of my one of my favorite movies. I, I you know, I don't know if I would say it's one of the best movies ever made or if it should have been best picture this in 1995. Although I like it a lot more than Forrest Gump, but I've probably seen Shawshank Redemption more than any other movie i'm i'm not a huge movie person but you know i know i know the movie inside and out i know i could quote pretty much every line of dialogue and i mean the ending you can't really beat the ending of, of shawshank redemption it's pretty amazing agreed the same it's 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 the movie i've seen rewatched the most obviously it's it's easier to rewatch it because it was on tnt like every day oh, for man. years and years it sure was I, at the time it counted as kind of under the radar and underrated. I don't know if it would be obviously underrated anymore. It's, you know, always top that IMDb list next to the Godfather is, you know, one, you know, everyone's all time favorite film from that, from that rating section. Are there films from this year you would call kind of underrated that you think missed the Oscars fellas? I, I can't think of too many because there was some that I just didn't see. I actually haven't even seen Ed, Ed Wood either. So there's, I've, I used to be a movie buff, but there was, there's definitely gaps. Sure. One one thing that came to mind, I, I actually watched some of the uh, Siskel and Ebert episodes around this time, and there's one that I I totally agree with that they brought up is Hoop Dreams was not even nominated for right best documentary. It was up for best editing, which is really odd, but as a fantastic doc- documentary, obviously it's it has to do with Chicago kids. So of course I'm gonna you know of course rock in the Homer pick again, but uh, definitely yeah. that's probably the biggest snub I would agree with. No, I mean, deeper down the roster, you know, it's such a big year where there's a lot of just what I can compliment are a lot of just good looking films shot on good looking films shot on film because Shawshank Redemption cinematography and the art and production value really looks great. And even Forrest Gump with the digital kind of, you know, trickery in there always looks great. And then you have a movie like Speed, which is, you know, moves like a million bucks and it wins sound effects editing and wins sound. Yeah. And talk and, about another I mean, movie that if it's on TV, I'm, I'm in. Oh, I know. I, I love watching Speed. Yeah. If people get a chance to see it, see it one time. It's not a movie you need to see over and over. But uh, Robert Redford's film Quiz Show, which was up for Best Picture, is a pretty solid flick. Not bad at all. Yeah, it's, it's actually the one I have not seen. I know I know the story of of, yeah. of the movie. I've I've heard podcasts about about the story, so it's one I will definitely check out. I'm always a Robert Redford fan. All right. Well, as I said before, Don, it was good, really good to have you on. I, I, we could definitely talk about film probably for hours, but uh, no problem. Before we sign up and call it a podcast, each episode, we want to share our hidden gem picks of the month. They can be films, but they can be songs, albums, even books, whatever, whatever you guys want. So, uh, Don, 
hit me with sure. uh, hit me up with your hidden gem pick of the month. Well, I tell you what, going back to those Oscar films, my favorite of that year is always Legends of the Fall from Edward Zwick. I just really enjoy the epic sweep in the melodrama, the scenery that won Best Cinematography from John Toll, who would do Braveheart this this coming year in 1995, is just beautiful. I I, I really enjoy the Montana part of the film, the, the World War One aspect. We don't see a lot of World War One movies. And uh, Brad Pitt gives a fantastic performance. Anthony Hopkins is a, is a vet and awesome as it is. Uh, good romance, kind of a... Like I said, steamy melodrama, but just really enjoyable, beautiful film. I'm a fan of Edward Zwick's filmography where he did stuff like Glory and Courage Under Fire and in this one where he just was on a roll in the 90s making hits. And I, this is one of his I really, really appreciate. Sounds great. Uh, Brian, hit me up with your hidden gem. Sure. Um, I have a couple couple bands came out with their debut albums in March 1995. Uh, Wilco released their first album called A.M., it had a little, little bit of a laid-back feel to it, kind of almost almost country um, at times. Obviously, Wilco end, ended up becoming a pretty big band out of Chicago, but uh, so this, but this, like their first album, I, th- I feel like doesn't get a lot of people don't really pay much attention to it. Um, another another hidden gem I have would be uh, Silver Chair, their debut album, Frog Stomp. Um, I just remember this album back in like middle school. I remember um, that cover. Great cover. Yeah, yeah it has an awesome, definitely good has cover. An awesome cover. But going back to like the, the first songs off an album theme for me, um, this album has a really awesome first song. Um, Israel's Son, it's called. It just has this really deep bass um, to start off the song. And it, it's, a, it's a really excellent song. Um, followed by the, the biggest single off the, off the album is called Tomorrow which ended up being a pretty big hit. I feel like Silver Chair didn't really catch on too much here in the States, but um, I know they had a, a pretty pretty decent career uh, overseas. So those are my two uh, hidden gems. Nice picks. Thanks. Very nice picks. Yeah, good stuff. I'll, I'll round it out with uh, Chrono Trigger. No, no, no. Yeah, Chrono Trigger, if you never played Chrono Trigger, we, we there's an article on the 25yearslayersite.com about, about that game. It's probably one of the best games of all time. So, uh, yeah, you should. Uh, if you haven't played Chrono Trigger, you should play it. But, uh, no, I'm going to keep it pretty pretty obscure, I think. I don't know if either of you have heard of these guys. I have, There was a band called Headstones. They were Canadian alternative psychedelic. I don't even know how you would kind of pigeonhole them, but they had an album called Teeth and Tissue, and I've been listening to it pretty much all week, and it's really good stuff, so I would highly recommend checking them out. Teeth and Tissue, you can't even find their catalog on Spotify, so I probably not really a big band at all, but uh, definitely a solid record to check out. Definitely sounds 90s. It's, it's that classic 90s sound, so I, I've been loving it. Headstones, Teeth and Tissue. Okay. Have not heard of that. All right. Well, that will wrap up this edition of 25 Years Later, the Obsessions podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find a more in-depth film podcast called The Criterion Collectors, hosted by Tim Rosenberger. Be sure to follow 25 Years Later on Twitter at 25YLSite. Thanks again to my guests, Brian and Don, this month. Appreciate you guys taking the time to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Join us next month where we'll talk about WrestleMania 11 and everything else happening in pop culture in April of 1995.